Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 32 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Niggerbauer, coming to you live to air on this Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018, here in sunny, warm, almost basically hot, yes, Canada can get hot, suburban Toronto, Ontario, uh, coming to you, it is the, also the Wednesday in Pentecost, the Wednesday after Pentecost, if you're counting, traditionally the, uh, one of the Ember Wednesdays, uh, day of special prayer for, for people going into ministry, so that's, a always a, a fun day for me, given that I'm hopefully headed in that direction. So today, but today we are talking about prequelism. Prequelist, it's a prequelist podcast. You can step back and look at the fandom itself. I'll even tell my own story. Uh, we are. I am joined by our two. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. I think I don't know if he's excited to to join us. And I'm joined by not my my clone course on guard clone coffee mug because I don't need that much coffee right now. Joined by uh, my Hufflepuff mug. Hashtag HFLP for life. And uh, yeah, because, you know, I don't, I'm trying to cut back on the Java a little bit, the Java juice a little bit, and so have a bit of a smaller mug with me right now. But uh, also, the reason I delayed podcasting yesterday, usually, usually I do these Tuesday mornings, but uh, I was kind of kind of under the weather. If you notice, my voice is a little lower and gravelier. Maybe it's more compelling and believable this way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's because of that. I'm still getting over that. So I apologize, but I will do my best here. Uh, before I go on, kind of, I listened back to last week's episode and claimed to be a uh, uh, someone who's good at Star Wars trivia, but I made some pretty important <laughs> mistakes in the last one. Just a little, just a little address those. So Pablo Hidalgo wrote the visual guides. That's part of what makes them wonderfully canon is because he puts all these tidbits that he knows. I said Dave Filoni wrote them. It would be cool if Dave Filoni wrote them, but no, it was Pablo Hidalgo. And last, this past Forces of Destiny, this is season two of Forces of Destiny, volume three that came out in March. Um, I, I had forgotten which, which episodes, so I just watched a few of them with my breakfast. And... Uh, let me see, pull that up, the Wikipedia page here, just to remind me. So, uh, I watched a, a few of them. And yeah, uh, Hasty Departure with uh, Sabine and Hera, where they steal a ship, or they steal a shuttle from the Empire, carrying medical supplies. The most interesting one, I think I did mention, Unexpected Company with Anakin and Padme, and uh, they, and, and Ahsoka, third wheels with them and she totally knows it's, it's great it's a great moment um yeah a few other things a few other ones i'll mention porg problems where ray is on octo and she is uh trying to lift the rocks just like with luke and one of the porgs comes up and snaps her lightsaber and that's a fun moment so she has to learn how to humanely control sentient semi-sentient not so sentient animals with the force uh, and, and bring them back and get her lightsaber and yeah that's always fun 
So yeah, I I, I enjoy. That's just a taste of, of what those are. I, I enjoyed. Always enjoy the the forces of destiny. Kind of waiting for someone to make the the uh, how IBM and Anthony Carboni on the Star Wars show. They had another show, Star Wars Science. I'm kind of waiting for them to release a Forces of Density parody. <laughs> That'd be uh, pretty funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I again, I'll, I'll reiterate. These are fun moments in different parts that add a little bit to the character. Certainly, again, Ahsoka, knowing Anakin and Padme are married and or together or whatever, and they make a good team, she says. And that that adds something, again, to the moments because she doesn't say anything. She has this sort of... Her and Padme have this sort of wink and nod moment that... Um, we can smile, kind of, I'm not going to say anything, because I'm kind of supportive of this, or if I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it. So she's definitely taken on Anakin's uh, contempt, if you are not contempt, but um, lack of concern for the rules of the Jedi Order, to some degree. So anyone with with a sterner sense of the rules would, would report him, I think, but she doesn't. She just <laughs> rolls with it. So, that's Force of Destiny. How am I Star Warsing this week? Well, first of all, I got see it's one more sleep till Solo. That's the really that's really exciting. I'll, I'll be honest. I think I've said this before. My uh, I, I was more looking forward to Infinity War this year. I wasn't entirely looking forward to Solo. I mean, it's not that I was against the idea. It's just okay. They're making a Solo film. Great. I'll go watch it. Why not? Yeah, Infinity War was going to be this big build-up to to the MCU, and, and Black Panther was looking forward to that, too. So, Solo is really the third most anticipated film of this year for me. Obviously, Last Jedi was last year. Next year, obviously, Episode Nine will be my most anticipated. I think it's going to be top everyone's list. Even though uh, Infinity War 2 is coming out, and, and they've done both... Last Jedi and Infinity War have done a great job of uh, setting up and, and wetting our appetite for a much wanted, desired conclusion. They've they've instilled that desire within us to conclude the the those stories because neither of them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, if you if you haven't seen Infinity War, this isn't a spoilery one, so I won't go into any more. If you haven't seen Last Jedi, I don't know. What you're what you're doing here? Because you know, I mean, welcome to this podcast. But I love Last Jedi. I probably will spoil it a bit more. One thing, yeah. Speaking of spoiling it, um, the, in the Force of Destiny, there's another moment of, of the synergy with the uh, with the novelization of the Last Jedi. In that they show the Forces of Destiny shows Finn and Rose's approach, part of Finn and Rose's approach to Canto Bite. And they they run into these kind of flying uh, octopus things, not octopus, jellyfish, space jelly, massive space jellyfish. And they they cripple BB-8 a little bit, and so Rose has to go and fix BB-8 while Finn has to try and fly the plane, fly, fly the shuttle. He doesn't really know how to fly the shuttle, which we see we see that, and we see that in the novelization. We don't see the the space jellyfish, but 
we see him struggling with flying the thing, flying the shuttle, and so it's neat that they. And I think, yeah, at least I've I saw them in close proximity to each other. So, to saw that the shot, the Force of Destiny and the novelization in close proximity to each other. So that's that's fascinating. That they have that synergy, canon connectivity that we all love to talk about here. In in the fandom, in the prequelist world, especially. So, <clears throat> so yeah, Force of Destiny. Last Friday. So, how was I prequel uh, Star Wars thing this week though? I was not watching the prequels. I uh, yeah, was able to spend some time with my mom watching the original trilogy, or at least watching Empire: Return of the Jedi, and then Force Awakens last night. And it's fascinating, especially given how invested in the prequels I am. To watch Return of the Jedi, especially, and how many time, how many plot points are actually callbacks, in a way, if now that we can consider the the six films are out, I mean eight films are out, but the six films are out. You know, seeing them in chronological order, seeing them, knowing the chronology of the prequels as established, it's not just backstory; it's main story. That Obi-Wan talking, first ghost Obi-Wan talking to Luke about his father in Return of the Jedi. It's like Luke talking to Rey, saying at the height of their powers, Darth Sidious City, Rise. You know, it's, it's the same, it's that kind of thing as opposed to in 1983, oh, this is filling in some needed backstory that. It's, I mean, it, its main purpose for that scene is, of course, still to prepare Luke to what he's about to do in confronting Vader, confronting Palpatine, and trying to bring back the good and good in Anakin Skywalker. He has to know where he comes from, and so uh, that's clearly the, the main point of the scene. But having seen the good in him. Having seen his fall and how tragic it was, and how it wasn't just his fault, it's partly the Jedi's fault, partly definitely Palpatine's fault. We that that gives all that a bit of an extra oomph. Even the "I'm your father" in Empire, it it, it gives that an extra oomph. And here's a whole other episode that I think I've talked about doing is. Are Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader the same character, or are they different characters? And I think I mentioned that a little bit. You know, that's definitely something I can go into at another time. So, I was fascinating. Part of the reason I was wanting to watch these films is tomorrow night. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm seeing Solo with my brother and sister-in-law, and they're coming to town, and so just pre- to prepare. It is Lawrence Kasdan. <laughs> he says it's... And, and his son. He said it's one of the best scripts ever written. I don't know how he's going to top the script in Empire. I mean, that's the thing. Is Empire, objectively speaking, is the greatest film ever made. I think we can all agree. Well, it's not necessarily true. But on a, by objective standards that we can agree on, generally speaking, we can say Empire is the best. It's not always the most enjoyable. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but 
yeah, so uh, I will definitely try and post a re- an instant reaction pod, um, just with a brief thing, non-spoilery, like I did with Last Jedi. If if the the fam jam wants to come on board and and give their reactions too, but I can't make any promises about that. <laughs> Hopefully, they will be willing to tomorrow night. Um, but we'll see. I will definitely at least give my take, maybe even in the parking lot or the car or wherever. So that's how I'm Star Wars. I know I've blown through that really quickly through a lot of things, but a lot of things to pack in there. Okay. Coffee or two. Alrighty. So prequelism, prequelists. So the first thing I want to say right off the bat, before I go into kind of my own, I'm going to talk about my own prequelist conversion a little bit. Prequelist does not say that the prequels are objectively better than the original trilogy or the sequel trilogy. No one is trying to make that claim. Many say, well, I I think the, the fundamental claim of prequelism, and this was on, so Black Series Rebels had, they had Ken Napsack on, they had Joseph Scrimshaw on, and uh, one of their hosts, I forget their name, because I mostly watched, to be honest, I mostly watched the interviews in Black Series Rebels, said the, the, the aim of prequelism really is to say all Star Wars is great, that the story especially throughout from episodes one to, well, six and seven and eight, is a it an enriching saga of this one family. Right. It, it, it's a, an equalization of, of the sagas a little bit. So the, I'll, I'll just put that out right off the bat. I'll get into kind of the, the nuances of that in a bit. My own prequelist conversion. I don't know if I talked about this before. I may have. Be a year ago when I started this podcast. Uh, I guess 10 months ago. So, yeah, I started out, I mean, I started out for a while. I was a trekker, right? <laughs> I started out coming back into the Star Wars fandom, uh, being pulled in by the peer pressure of saying, oh, Jar Jar, oh, the prequels, oh, episode one, oh, Anakin's acting, oh, Padme's acting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And... I had this niggling thing in the back of my head of, well, there are some interesting parallels with Christianity, especially the on the nose one with, uh, with Anakin's birth and all that, that I've done a whole episode on. Go, go check that out. But yeah, this was a time when it was cool to bash the prequels and I was caught up in it a little bit. I never said anything like George Lucas ruined my childhood or anything. But, you know, and oddly enough, the one thing I was maybe most actually disappointed by was how fast Anakin's turn to the dark side seemed in episode three. But a few things happened. So I went to Edmonton for 10 months. This is 2015, 2016. Kind of the early 2016, I was looking for podcasts to start listening to. To really dive deeper in, and I found Full of Sith. 
found Brian, especially Brian Young's thoughts on this. But uh, Mike Pilot and Amy Ratcliffe were, were the hosts at the time. Mike and Brian are still there, but they've been joined by, by someone else named Holly Fry. Anyway, and Brian especially was able to articulate the the bonds between the trilogies, the uh, going deeper into the politics of the prequels, going deeper into, I mean, his biggest thing. This is this is the kind of example par excellence of Brian Brian Young's prequelism here. The importance of Jar Jar Binks to the story, right? To say, and if you you ask him, he's, he's got this whole whole thing of why Jar Jar is so important to the saga overall. Because, and I'll, I'll summarize it briefly, is uh, you know Jar Jar is this goof that Kenobi, especially Obi Wan, especially rejects kind of out of hand. The Jedi don't. Are this this stiff professional organization that doesn't deal with these uh, strange and and kind of goofy beings? But Qui Gon has a sense of it, and what happens is, of course, in Episode One, uh, you know, Qui Gon and Padme especially are able to see that the Gungans actually can be contribute and be very helpful, and they provide the they're willing to sacrifice their lives to provide this distraction so that the rest of the people can go back into Theed and retake the city and retake the planet. Yoda sitting on Dagobah on his log. This is, just came up when I watched Empire again. When he first meets Luke, he's acting all goofy and kind of unintelligent and whatnot. A bit as a test, right? To see to see how dismissive and arrogant Luke is going to be, because he ha- Yoda has a sense that one of the main errors of the Jedi was that uh, they were they were so easily rejected. All these other beings in the galaxy, and that's partly even fed into the Imperial. Uh, humanist sort of like as in racist policies of pro-human racist policies anyway the rebellion was able to take in all these different characters and characters but most importantly he was able to tell luke teach luke that these other beings have traditions and have ways of uh, facing problems and struggles even fighting and in combat and warfare and all that that could help the rebellion. Fast forward to Endor, where Han, Luke, Chewie, and, and the droids are captured by the Ewoks. And Luke instinctively knows, no, it's all right. This is an opportunity here. And of course, we see what happens is the Ewoks play a pivotal pivotal role in the, the Battle of Endor. So that's one way in which things connect, right? So, anyway, I heard that. I heard the way he talked about things. I was starting to chew and mull over these, more of these parallels that come out, especially in the prequels that I've post podcasted on before. And 
So to say, oh, these things really are really compelling and really rich. And the drama and the films themselves are really rich. And then I think the last thing is, so is that a church at the time where the, the, the rector had two young kids and, and the rector and her husband were there and had two young kids who were, were really into Star Wars and one of them had just seen uh, Phantom Menace and what was so excited and beaming about it. And I thought, oh yeah, from a kid's perspective, this is this is really exciting, really enjoyable. And what's are are we so grown up and jaded that we can't actually enjoy things from a kid's perspective? And if you can't enjoy things from a kid's perspective, at least in part, then you can't enjoy Star Wars. It, it's that simple. <laughs> I'll I'll just come out and say that. Right? It's like Jesus saying. Unless you enter the kingdom, unless you come like a child, you can't enter the kingdom, right? Unless you have, are open to that childhood imagination again, the same way as we were when we were children. Well, there were kids who grew up with the prequels. There were kids who are just now, I mean, are, being, are growing up with the sequel trilogy, right? All of them have that wonder and that excitement. You think at the end of... The Last Jedi, the the Coda. That's that's that wonder and excitement of those kids, even in poverty and and in these dire situations, they're still able to imagine a new world, and the, that adventure and excitement that we've all had. And so, to say, these films have that effect. So then I step back and and say, okay. You actually enjoy these films for what they are and continue to delve into the story. And, and I found the one film I kept going back to, if I want to say, hey, let's watch a Star Wars film. The one film I kept going back to was Revenge of the Sith. It's the richest, again, I use this word rich drama. It gets the cosmic, the political, and the personal all together in one. Especially in that that lightsaber fight and the end with with Obi Wan and Anakin or Vader, and that last scene where, uh, or not the scene, the high ground where Anakin's burning up. I mean, this is long before my quote prequel is conversion, but I never cry in the theater. <laughs> you know, I never cry at movies. You were my brother. I loved you. That I that's the one time I've ever cried in the theater. <laughs> I started to well up. I'm not kidding. Because of everything that's laden in there. You're supposed to bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. You're my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Again, all the weight of the galaxy, all the weight of the universe in this two-person interaction. Right? I hate you. That, you know, Anakin or Vader crawling up. So... For me, yeah, it's definitely my favorite film, and I think I mentioned that on this before. Is you know, yeah, so so that's my story. A little bit, you know, decide you know start the podcast in summer twenty seventeen. 
here we are. <laughs> you know, Last Jedi comes out, and it's a sustained meditation, I think, on what happened in the prequels. More so than the original trilogy. See, and then episode 9. Again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. This is my way of lobbying. I need... Now that, now that Carrie Fisher has sadly passed away, that if Leia, this is some episode nine speculation here, if, if she was able to confront Kylo Ren, like she'd be the one to turn him, possibly. If Kylo Ren is going to be turned back, I think it would be perfect and beautifully poetic and not at all derivative, not at all repetitive. If it's Anakin's Force Ghost. Especially after seeing Force Awakens last night. and Grandfather, I'll finish what you started. Well, for him to actually come to him and say, you're wrong. And even if he turns or not, he could reject that. And say you're weak. That theme of weakness and strength could really come out. And vulnerability is strength. So that's my story. So, as I keep going, I, I realize that, I, I, and as in, as I kept thinking about these and listening to Full of Sith, listening to you know, Collider Jedi Council and, and watching that and getting to Joseph Scrimshaw and Force Center and Ken Knapsack and Jennifer Landa and all that, but these voices, there are differences and nuances within prequelism. Believe it or not. And so I said before, you know, it's not that nobody's claiming that the prequel trilogy as a whole is better than the sequel trilogy. I think if you... depends on which prequelist you ask, though. Like, Ken on Jedi Council has given his, his order, his ranking. And what he said is, you know... That the original trilogy is better, and the sequ- prequels are, are worse. He calls himself a prequelist, and that's fine. And 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 I'm not debating. I'm not disputing that. I'm not, you know, if you want to have a label, that's great because he still enjoys the story, and he still enjoys the films, and he still can, and he definitely knows the lore. <laughs> this is Ken Napsok here. He definitely knows the lore. I think the reason they have to. See, what they do is every single time, they also find they have to qualify their, their like the prequels and say, okay, but dialogue and, and Jake Lloyd and Hayden Christensen and, and to some degree Natalie Portman, were, were their acting wasn't that great and the pacing, the story structure was off and all these technical things. I think this is both my understanding of it and but my distancing of from from that a little bit is they're in Hollywood they have professional responsibilities to continually be cognizant of these objective standards of filmmaking that they have to continually be on top of the fact that by some objective standards some of the, these films miss some things, right? Especially the things I, I listed. Those are the usual complaints. A lot of people are annoyed by Jar Jar. Okay. Um, 
a lot of people think Anakin's fall was too quick. Okay. These objective things that they still have to list because they're professional film critics and in the business and need at least to be seen as uh, able to, to name these objective things and to not let their enjoyment of the films get in the way of that. I understand that. That's not how I experienced them. I mean, that's the thing. You can look at Last Jedi objectively. I just listened to a um, what's it? Story in Star Wars. This is a great podcast by Point North Media. I forget forget his name. Who does it? He's and I think he's a, he's an academic who does uh, actual narrative criticism of of films and of a lot of these fandom films and fandom genres, including Harry Potter, including other things, and. He said The Last Jedi structurally is a mess and jumbled and its themes are jumbled. I experienced it differently. Right. I experienced even experienced Attack of the Clones differently. Part of that is because I don't need to be so cognizant of these objective standards of filmmaking. I haven't been trained in that. But even then, you look at story structure... And I actually have a different, maybe have a different way of placing, especially Last Jedi, the placing what, you know, the first act and the midpoint and the third act. And I think there are two third acts in that film. And that's part of the issue. <laughs> um, and so even those objective things that I have some sense of, I experience differently. So for me, so what I'm saying is that there are two different types of frequentists in this sense, in that. There are those who, like Knapsack and Scrimshaw, who who like the stories, like the films, but wouldn't put them as high as, as the original trilogy. Okay. Brian Young has a great line, and this is the other camp here. Brian Young has this great line of, what's your favorite, what's his ranking, what's his favorite Star Wars film? Whichever one he's watching at the moment. <laughs> and in a way, that works. In a way, that's... I'd say that's true. Um, you know, watching Empire the other night was wonderful. And watching Return of the Jedi, was, oh yeah, I really like this film. Watching Force Awakens, exciting. The second half is more interesting. I could wa- I watched Last Jedi maybe how many, how many times... Maybe 15, 20 times already. So, the idea there is, I there's two possibilities there. Is that the ranking itself doesn't matter. It doesn't actually work. Or, at least the way I do it is, for me, my order is, is just all mixed up and jumbled and meshed. Right? And they move around. Maybe that's part of Brian's point, too, is they move around. But, see again, prequelism doesn't say that the prequels are better. My order is three, five, eight, six, <laughs> uh, one, four, seven, two. At least right now, you know, six might slide out. If I'm watching two, here's the thing about Attack of the Clones is one of the things that prequels will claim is yes, we can admit the romance is kind of cringeworthy. They should have done something different, or, or they should have. 
made it more realistic, or if you just cut it out of the movie, it's an interesting movie, but they needed Anakin and Padme to get together so the kids could be born. Whatever. It's, it's Especially now, after Me Too, and after once these things... The, the the way men are predatory with women has come to light. At best, the romance on Attack of the Clones is dated. Kind of like the way Friends the sitcom is dated. Right, with Ross and all that. But you cut that away. You, you, if you just have Obi-Wan spy thriller finding it, discovering both sides of this both sides of this conflict of built these massive armies in secret. That's exciting. That's an exciting film. That's an intrigue. So, part of the point of prequelism is to remind everybody, first of all, don't get caught up in peer pressure. Don't get caught up in um, just bashing things because they're cool. Look and, and see where these you can appreciate things in these films right part of it is uh reminding especially and this is this is a big point this is a very solid point that i grant land on is e mcdermott frank oz samuel jackson liam neeson right especially i mean how many more actors can i know performances can i know but especially ewan mcgregor my word that's one thing that everybody universally agrees upon is that Ewan McGregor is perfect, right? Throughout, he, he gives uh, the uh, on um, Boxer's Rebels, like I was saying, he's a very balanced, measured, intense performance where you see his progression from it's what behind the ears Padawan to this. Saddened, but almost broken, but uh, mature, wizened master. At least the trajectory that he will be when we see him in New Hope. He's set on that trajectory. That, yeah, that moment, like I said before, on the high ground. You're the chosen one. You're my brother. You you just, everything you and put into that. Uh, put into that performance. You know, it, it's it's one of the greatest. It's one of the great, certainly one of the great sci-fi performances of all time. And you know, if you if we're gonna, I mean, that's the thing. And the evidence there is everybody wants a Kenobi film, and everybody wants a film that'll look back on the prequel trilogy and delve into the story more. And so. That gets me to my, 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 I guess my second last point, because I do want to touch on Clone Wars a little bit. The, maybe the most important point, though, is fandom, especially, again, the way, we're, you know, the cultural values of acceptance and welcome, you know, in church and society, we also have to have these standards of objective truth and you know we, we have these polarizations that go on and I think we can learn a thing or two about 
the way sci-fi fandom overall can grapple head on with its divisions. And that's the thing we saw with The Last Jedi is it had to, right? Prequelism is an example of the emerging emergence of prequelism, the emergence of not just a heresy, not just a schism, but of an ecumenical partner, to use that analogy, within the rest of Star Wars fandom. That, you know, if you enjoyed the prequels, you have a community now you can be part of. You're not alone, left to wander. You know, if, if you love Jar Jar and you're related to him, because you're considered one of the one of the outsiders, one of the misfits, you have a community now where you can come and you're welcome. That's the thing with the fandom adapting in that way. A lot of that is is critical mass. A lot of that is people who are younger who didn't grow up with the nostalgia of the original trilogy and therefore were then set up all these expectations that were taken down because the prequels are so different than the original trilogy. You know, or you're like me and you, you, you adapted and you adjusted and you actually delved, delved into it. There's this critical mass now that says, no, it's it's not cool anymore to bash the prequels. It's it's legit to like them, legit to love them, and you see that more and more even in the commentary ad, I could say, right? You know, uh, any time Collider and Black Series Rebels and then bring up these these not because the full of Sith is specifically prequels, but these kind of broader news focus things uh, media let's content creators even star wars explained and all these sources you know the conversation is a lot more open now lastly a big credit then is due to the clone wars series for doing this and again you can kind of criticize and say well why didn't they put that in the films? Why didn't they do what they what Clone Wars did in the films? It's only two, two and a half hour film. George Lucas had a specific story to tell. Yeah, maybe there are ways he could have, but there's all these details and things that you have to pay attention to, just like the way people think Ray is a Mary Sue. They don't know that she had a simulator and she had to fend for herself on Jakku and all that. <laughs> Clone Wars allowed this story to be stretched out. It's literally stretched out twice the length of the actual time frame, right? It's they they were going to do eight seasons in a three year period, right? Between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. They were able to dive deep. And again, credit to the performers performances of um of Matt Lanter and James Arnold Taylor and Ashley Eckstein especially. But I mean, this was George Lucas and Dave Filoni's story that they told. And you, know, you see Palpatine manipulating Anakin. You see the things I mentioned at the top with, with Ahsoka 
seeing the corruption of the Jedi and how that impacts Anakin. Right? You just spend more time with these characters and with this world and with these clones and with everything that you come to see the prequel trilogy as this rich, again, there's that word again, filled out whole that help it definitely does help appreciate the films more it makes us more familiar the clone wars made us more familiar with the story with the look of it again with these characters so credit is due there i will say but that makes me more of a prequelist than less quite frankly <laughs> um, clone wars is Easily up there is one of my favorite shows. And what it did do is to say, well, there might be issues for, for people who are not a fan of the prequels to say, well, there may be any issues with the films, but the story is still worth investing in. Because it's another thing, like Ian McGregor's performance, Clone Wars, at least where it went to, something that is universally loved. And it's set in the prequel trilogy. So, that's kind of my argument. Those are my thoughts. Put a closing word from R2. R2's in the prequels. I mean, how do you not love that? It actually plays a major role in prequels and Clone Wars. So, there's that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been my, my kind of retrospective stepping back in the fandom. Maybe there's things I missed. Maybe there's things you'd like to comment and chime in. Please do if you would like to follow me on Twitter at neug485. Request to follow on Instagram at mneug1138. If you've found me on Podiums or on the Radio Public app, please do subscribe and download. And tell your friends. <laughs> um, just uh, one more sleep till solo see how the world changes this has been Matthew Nugobar on this sunny ember Wednesday thanks for listening may the force be with you always <laughs> <laughs>